Age Care Insight Podcast is an audio extension of the national age care publication, Age Care Insight, available in print, web, e-newsletter, offering the latest news, trends, interviews and insights in age care today. Subscribe to Age Care Insight by going to agecareinsight.com.au and click on the no obligation four-week trial subscription link. Now sit back, relax and enjoy our latest Age Care Insight podcast. Diagnostic tools for acute pain are often difficult for health professionals to interpret and apply, and managing chronic pain holds its own challenges. This was the focus of the presentation from the University of Queensland's Pain Lang at the Australian Pain Society 35th Annual Scientific Meeting. I'm joined by one of the presenters, Professor Jenny Strong. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you, Dallas. I'm pleased to be speaking with you. How effective are current diagnostic tools and where can improvements be made? Dallas, that's a very important question. Uh, At the moment, uh, we believe that there are pockets, there are areas about understanding people's pain that need to be considered in much more detail. Um, A person with persistent pain, chronic non-cancer pain, is not a homogenised... Everyone's not the same and the complexity comes because pain is not something we can visibly see or easily quantify. So we rely on people's language and we make too many assumptions about us all speaking the same language, for example. What challenges do health professionals face when trying to understand a patient in pain? One of the one of the uh, challenges, and certainly it's one that I confess I found quite confronting myself, was to to, to understand that the way I view the world and what I think if I'm in a situation where I have pain is not the way that everybody else views the world. So if I could give you an example, if I had uh, persistent back pain, I would be going to my doctor and I would be giving my doctor a very full description of the pain I was suffering, how how the pain was interfering with me doing my normal daily activities. And I assumed that everyone, everybody else would do the same thing. But some of our research has shown that, for example, if someone uh, comes from a different religion, um, they may not actually want to talk about their pain because their their view of the world is that if you complain about pain, then in the next life you'll suffer more. And to, to so it's it's about having an awareness that there are perhaps linguistic and socio-cultural factors that a patient brings to the health encounter that we don't know about straight away. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, and so what are some of those... Um, challenges that patients face when trying to describe their pain? Okay, well, uh, one, of our, one of our colleagues in our pain lang research group is the Vice President of Chronic Pain Australia and they've recently done um, quite a comprehensive survey and what they found from people, from members of their organisation who are people who are living with chronic pain, persistent pain, they found that 
it, it's hard for these clients, these patients, to find a health professional who will actually listen to them. They find it's difficult or it's not easy to find a health practitioner who actually believes what they're telling them. Um, they, they find that, they feel that many health professionals don't respect them as an individual and there are also many health professionals who are not very skilled at explaining to them about the complexity of pain and as we know Dallas pain is a very complex phenomenon um, you know it, it's it's got neurological it's got physiological it's got psychological um, it, it's got so many things happening um, to impact upon the actual experience of pain you mentioned that religion of the patient can affect pain language. What are some of the other important contextual elements of pain or pain language that health professionals should be aware of? Yes, uh, a couple of other, a couple of other um, variables that I think are very important is the and it, it sounds it's it's not rocket science agenda. So, for example, in one of the research projects that we completed a few years ago, we looked at the um, ability of men and women to describe pain, and we found, and these these were we used healthy uh, university students um, in Brisbane, and we found that the women were much more able to describe in great detail a pain experience whereas the men did not have such a rich expression expressive component of their reporting but what the men reported was that I was really frustrated because I couldn't do this activity so they were much more focused on the implications rather than saying well it's a shooting pain and you know so they were much more functionally oriented um, than the women were so that was one variable another variable is is culture um, and culture is you know culture is such an important thing it um, it, it underpins um, it underpins the activities of, you know, a group of people and it gives context in which the language interactions actually take find meaning. So let me let me give you another example from some research that um, we have ongoing with some uh, people, our colleagues in Vietnam. Um, the the um, sorry, I just. No, no, no. Can I? Sorry, yeah, um, you can... jumping. Can I tell you about a study that um, we've undertaken that is very soon to be published in the Australian Journal of Rural Health, and it was looking at the language of pain used by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, people in um, in Queensland, and what we found was again uh, there was a reticence to to report. Yes, I've got really awful pain uh, until it became so bad that it was unbearable. And also, the the way that um, many of the um, Indigenous participants 
describe the pain was not that, oh, the pain is, you know, 10 out of 10. The pain is stopping me from doing stuff with the kids. And so it was, again, that functional implication rather than, yes, I've got a pain and it's here and it's stabbing. And so we need to we need to do more than just say, okay, tell me what your pain is on a 0 to 10 scale because that does not have a lot of meaning for a lot of people. And that's part of our clinical armatarium, isn't it? We always ask, okay, what's your pain like today? Nord is no pain, 10 is worst possible pain. Um, and that, just asking that is not enough. What are some strategies health professionals can employ to improve communication or better manage pain or, or take into account some of these contextual elements? Dallas, the, the, the fundamental thing to start with is to realise that it may not be as easy as we think it is. Um, and our understanding of, of language is not the same as someone else's. So having that, that awareness, I think, just helps you right from the start to actually listen and observe your patient. So we know that language is not just about words, it's about, you know, not um, body language as well. So being very alert and listening to our patients and clients is a really important way to go. And so instead of saying, okay, you know, what number is your pain today? You know, okay, um, Susan, you know, how's your day been thus far? Um, and then, you know, giving them an opportunity to to actually talk about, you know, the salient things, which for them might be that it's the pain is there, but it's interfering with them, you know, picking the kids up from school, or it's stopping them from, you know, having any social life, or um, it's so bad that, you know, they're scared if they go out to shop for groceries, someone will bump them, and you know, because shopping centres are busy places and that it will trigger off more pain. So I think it's about it's about listening and observing and giving the patients time to to tell their story. What are some of Pain Lang's current research projects looking into? Yes. Uh, well, at the moment, we've got a couple of interesting projects. As I mentioned, we're still continuing with um, uh, a lovely body of work in with um, our colleagues in Vietnam. Um, and, you know, one of the really interesting things that um, has popped up is how in Vietnamese culture, it's, it, it is normal practice for... Um, for me, for example, to take my father or my husband or my brother to a consultation with a doctor and for, uh, you know, my, my sibling, my brother, my husband to actually do the talking. So that whole idea of, of a third person in the interview is, is something that um, we're looking at quite closely at the moment. Uh, we're also... Given the um, given the interest in this area, we're in the process of developing um, a communicating with patients about pain sort of module or um, uh, learning package. So we're, we're um, 
we're wrestling with this at the moment. We were all fired up at the conference, and um, you know, we had over we had about 110 people at our um, topical session, and got lots of feedback from the audience that sort of fueling us. However, we just had to step back into our our day jobs for a bit, and our next paneling meetings not for a couple of weeks, where we can really you know process and plan you know, the next steps in that module development, but we're, we're very committed to doing that. Nursing Review podcast is an audio extension of the national nursing publication, Nursing Review, available in print, web, e-newsletter, offering the latest news, trends, interviews and insights in nursing education. Subscribe to Nursing Review today by going to www.nursingreview.com.au and click on the no-obligation four-week trial subscription link. 